0: This is the Oanda Podcast, brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week, we take a look at all the business and market stories making the headlines with an Oanda Senior Market Analyst. And this week, it's Craig Erlem from London. Good afternoon to you, sir. A very good afternoon to you, too. How have you been?
1: It's it's been a good week actually. It's uh, are you talking about are the interesting. or tennis. Um, I mean that that was, that was that was last weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually probably missed half of that. Uh, I was at a wedding, um, oh, so I did miss a chunk of that. I caught a bit of the tennis. Proud day to be British. Uh, it seems last weekend brings us all closer together, which in these times I'm sure <laughs> we all appreciate.
0: What was amazing though was uh, on one Sunday afternoon. In Britain, we had these three major global events happening at the same time, which I think is a great advert for Great Britain and PLC. It is,
1: and like I say, at the perfect time because now we're going to go for a few months, which as we've seen in the last the few years, I mean, it's, it's it, yeah, maybe. The topic of Brexit has been extremely divisive, uh, safe to say, over the last few years. Uh, we've all enjoyed this quieter period when we've been able to talk about other things, make friends with our foes, and realise life without Brexit, and without Brexit chat in particular, is actually far more enjoyable than life talking about it. So, hopefully in a few months, although I, uh, I'm very sceptical that It's going to be wrapped up in a few months. We can move on with our lives. But I think the next few months are now going to be uh, really pivotal, starting next week.
0: Yes, indeed. We are approaching a very historical moment for this country. And we've been in a state of purgatory for so long now, haven't we? We've had this uh, leadership debate, this leadership campaign going on. It seems like forever. Actually, it's shorter than it normally would be. But it feels like 16 hustings between Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson. And really, what did we learn? Not very much. And very interesting in terms of the markets uh, following the debates and this idea that somehow if Boris Johnson wins, and I say if, it's when he wins, that he could shut Parliament. Uh, There was a vote in Parliament yesterday and apparently that can now not happen and that had an effect on the pound.
1: It did. It lifted the pound, uh, and that's obvious. I'm sure they'll try and find other ways that they can try and get around this. Um, uh, they've, there's obviously been a lot of work in the background on his team and others to try and find a way to get around Parliament because Parliament has blocked it in the past. Really, the way to get around it, if you really think you can deliver it and if you really think this is what the people want, is you need to have an election and allow people to elect people who will deliver on that. That's how parliamentary democracy works. But they are trying to find other quicker ways to do it that avoid the risk of Jeremy Corbyn actually getting into power that was blocked this week that's that's good news for the pound not great news because we're still lingering near those two and a bit year lows that we hit earlier on in the week. The debates themselves, it seems to have been a case of two candidates trying to prove they're going to be harder on Brexit. Um, Jeremy Hunt even actually falling in line with the, the backstops dead uh, wording, which actually hit the pound earlier on in the week, uh, because that suggests there is no res- resolution to be found with the EU. But well, you've got the two candidates saying the backstops dead, the EU saying the backstops essential. I don't know how you square that particular circle, uh, but it has been a volatile week for the pound. I expect the next few months are going to continue to be so, but- But the one clear thing from the currency is that no deal Brexit is more priced in than it ever was under Theresa May.
0: What was that stat I was reading about some of the uh, airport currency shops? I think you can get 80 euros for a pound now. That is a shocker.
1: It is a shocker, but I mean, anyone who has ever changed money at the airport yes. will know that you only do that once and I, then you find something. That is exactly some.
0: what happened to me. I'm not <laughs> going to mention the brand. But I, and I went, how much? Yeah. And it's going to be a very expensive uh, holiday period for anybody going abroad, unless, of course, the pound recovers a bit. We have no idea what's going to happen over the next two and a half months or
1: so. What do you think markets are betting right now? Um, In terms of what we can expect, well, next week, as you say, it looks like Boris Johnson is likely to win it. That's always been the case. Although there has been a few signals that the Tory membership hasn't had their mind made up as much as people expected. That's not to say that Johnson won ultimately win by a large margin, but it seems there's been a lot of late votes cast, which suggested they did want to hear what both candidates had to say, so it wasn't as straightforward as many expected. It does look like Johnson will win. The thing with populist leaders, you don't necessarily expect to keep them to their word. Um, They make bold promises. If they deliver on half of them, you're quite happy because they're much bolder promises than non-populist leaders tend to make. Johnson has guaranteed that we will be out on the 31st of October. There's people who will be backing him, who will be voting for him, who don't actually believe he's leaving, that we're leaving on the 31st of October beneath him. What they like is the fact that he is delivering that message and he's standing behind that message and he's taking that message uh to europe what that actually means on the 31st of october i think there probably will still be an extension i don't think no deal gets through parliament then after that it's a case of do we have another election uh, because he needs to get the numbers in parliament up and he's got people to blame for it not actually going for the for the next extension or does he just continue to search for ways to go around parliament in order to deliver no deal
0: just check the odds for you uh craig boris johnson 20 to 1 on
1: yeah, I mean, when you look at the pound, is that entirely surprising. Hunt would be seen as the safer option. He may be saying all these things now to try and win over a few of the extra members, uh, try and close their gap and maybe even give them themselves that shock victory. But I think we all know that between the two candidates, one of them would probably happy, happily take us over the no-deal threshold and the other one would do some so extremely reluctantly. Isn't this Trumpism though? Isn't You know, making a, a huge threat. Trump
0: did it with North Korea. He's doing it with Iran, but actually doesn't really mean it. It's a bit like that with- with... With Boris, you know, he's going to prorogue Parliament, he's going to leave without a deal, etc. This is just
1: a game, isn't it? Well, the thing is, when you make a bold promise, the other side has to believe that you are willing to go through with it. And it's where Theresa May failed. When you go all in in poker, you don't do so, cross your fingers and close your eyes and expect people to believe you've got a strong hand. Boris Johnson, I think one of the, he believes one of the fundamental mistakes Theresa May made was that she said she was willing to take no deal rather than a bad deal while telling everyone that no deal was absolutely dreadful. You're basically showing your hand to the other side, and I think he truly wants Europe to believe that he is willing to take us through the no deal threshold if need be. It doesn't mean he necessarily will. I mean, going back to the Trumpism, Trump told Theresa May she should sue the EU. I don't know where he thought that would actually get us, but... <laughs> it's a yeah, good line, It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good line, but, that's, but that's, meaningless. that's
0: populism at its best, isn't it, right? Completely meaningless. And by the way, uh, the BBC uh, Panorama programme... Uh, last night, suggested that the EU negotiators never heard her mention a no deal.
1: I don't think that will surprise anyone. She didn't want it. It was quite clear from the forecast that she was get, that, that she was. But not that even she was to using. make
0: a veiled threat, even.
1: But, I mean, there's no point in a veiled threat because when you're telling people how how disastrous no deal would be, any threat is an empty threat because people know you don't want it. She did make a terrible mistake in that, in that situation by, by trying to appease everyone. So it's been a bad week for sterling against both the euro and the dollar, but a little bit of a recovery
0: over the last 24 hours. That is partially down to MPs backing uh, the bid to block any parliamentary suspension, the so-called prorogation. But also there is
1: some other reasons as well in the United States. The other fact that it's led to the bounce in the pound versus the US dollar in particular has been some more dovish comments from the Federal Reserve. We've got the July uh, meeting of the Fed in just about a week and a half now. So these are some of the final comments which we're actually going to get before the blackout period begins this weekend. And... The New York Fed President, John Williams, suggested that preventative rate cuts are better than trying to respond in the case of a disaster. Now, obviously, that is a very extravagant way to phrase this, this idea that we've got to to have a disaster instead. But I think the message was quite clear. Now, he gave this during a speech and actually the New York Fed uh, actually sought to clarify his comments, suggesting that he wasn't giving hints at policy for this meeting. But the timing of these comments and the actual message that it sends was, we effectively don't have the artillery that we have had before during prior crises in order to wait for the crisis to happen before cutting interest rates. So the best measure that we can take now is to preventative rate cuts in order to try and stabilise the economy at the first sign of weakness and that will enable this expansion to continue for a longer period of time and give us the opportunity to rebuild our artillery as it were. And actually these messages were copied by Clarida who's the vice chair later on in the same evening so people took this as a strong message but not just that we'll see one rate cut at the July meeting or that we'll see two or three rate cuts this year markets had fully priced in a rate cut for the 31st of july markets now increasingly priced in a 50 basis points rate cut so more extravagant rate cuts at the end of july it's now about 50 50 so people see it as coin toss i think that's wrong and i think we'll find that out probably later today when we hear from james Bullard, who is typically seen as the most dovish member of the Fed who's previously suggested he's not sure he'd favor a 50 basis point cut but 25 seems appropriate if he voices that same message again then I think the markets will still be offside but I think the message is quite clear and that's that we will get a rate call we may get two we may even get three if it stops them needing to cut rates by two percent three percent at any time over the next year because they've been late to the game.
0: Craig it's been another wild week
1: for cryptocurrency your favorite subject what's been going on? It's really come under the microscope over the last week and a half. It started with um, Jay Powell's testimony in front of the first the House Financial Services Committee and then the Senate Banking Committee. I think we referenced that on last week's podcast. He received a few questions about Libra, the cryptocurrency which has been uh, announced by Facebook. And what that effectively does is put the magnifying glass right back on the entire cryptocurrency space. And Bitcoin, obviously, being the leader there, um, it naturally draws a lot of attention to it and the thing is these cryptocurrencies they tend to burst into life and they tend to actually do quite well just when they're in the headlines no matter what really they are in the headlines for it creates a lot of volatility and quite often that is beneficial and that volatility's not gone away. We had Trump last week commenting on it, saying he was not a believer that the good old u s dollar is, is it will never be defeated effectively, but then it 's continued to be in the spotlight This week. we had the leading member of the Facebook Libra team actually in Congress as well, and he was heavily grilled by lawmakers about uh, Libra again constantly ask questions and these are not people who are very responsive not not in a positive way anyway to the prospect of a cryptocurrency that potentially rivals and is reliant in many ways on the US dollar they see it as a threat they don't know enough about it and and that that i think in many ways worries them they don't want anything that's going to allow anything to usurp the dollar's position in the world. Moreover, it is a risk in terms of things like, as we've heard many times before, terrorist financing, uh, foul play in terms of any form of criminal activity, really. The fact that it's got this anonymity attached to it. Not just Libra I'm talking about there. I'm actually talking more about the actual cryptocurrency space. And their fierce opposition to it really came across during these hearings. And then on Thursday, we actually heard one lawmaker suggest that Bitcoin cannot be killed. So we've seen a lot of volatility in Bitcoin. in the last two weeks we've actually seen it drop off from 13,000 below 10,000 because of the amount of negative attention it was getting from lawmakers in Congress including the President himself and it bounced back on Thursday on that meagre comment from one lawmaker that it can't be killed. It rebounded 10% on that comment. That just shows how insanely volatile this can be and how enthusiasts can cling to any form of hope no matter how uh, low level this person is and no matter how irrelevant the comment is. Is uh, It has sprung back to life and it's, it, it, it is a wild west in many ways uh, and it, it's very difficult to know which way these things are going to go because when such small comments can have such outsized effect uh, on, on, the, on on Bitcoin and on the space as a whole, this is not a story, this Libra story, that's going away. And therefore, if Bitcoin and others are going to remain in the headlines for months to come, this is not something that's going to lose its volatility anytime soon.
0: Of course, Facebook's results for Q2 announced next week, along with a whole raft of big earnings, plenty to talk about there. Facebook, Boeing, Deutsche Bank, Alphabet, Amazon, and it's uh, it's a crowded market, isn't it?
1: Yeah, a seamless transition there, Johnny. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there are a lot of earnings. And to be honest, there's a lot of really interesting stuff as well. You haven't even named a whole bunch of others which are reporting next week, which I'm sure everyone will be really interested in as well. And I think it's made, been made all the more interesting by how much of a mixed start it's actually been to earnings season so far. It's been a very bumpy ride over in the US. We had the banks who beat on expectations, but those parts of the reports that actually concern investors so they didn't really share price didn't really rise or or fall on the back of it. We had Netflix earnings which were appalling uh, by its own standards because subscriber numbers actually uh, dropped off a little bit in its core market in the US. We then had Microsoft earnings on Thursday, which propelled the stock only a couple of percent higher, but this is a stock that's now market valuation is above a trillion dollars. And this we saw enormous growth in its cloud business. Azure uh, revenue increased 64% year on year. And this is the lowest growth rate in four, at least four years, which puts a lot of focus on the Amazon results this week, because obviously cloud growth has been one of the major drivers of its revenue for a, a good number of years now and given the size of the growth which we've just seen from Microsoft Amazon which has been a trillion dollar company in the past uh, and is fighting um uh, Microsoft for not just market share here but obviously the the, the world's largest stock uh, or at least the western world's largest stock um they report uh, this week I think on Thursday so I think the cloud business component about that's going to be very interesting as well as the consumer environment as well we talk about a consumer environment the high street and the other but online isn't exactly having it easy as well so I think that side of things will be really uh, interesting as well we may even get an early update on how Prime Day went which was earlier on this week Um, so that's going to be an interesting one Facebook of course the advertising revenue growth that we've seen has been extraordinary um, and has been a main driver of its revenue growth and its uh, surging share price is that continuing to keep up given the competition which we're seeing there from Amazon as well obviously we may well look to see if we can get an update on the Libra situation as well given everything we've seen in the past couple of weeks I'm running out of breath because I feel like I'm talking for so long but we're not even through it yet What about
0: Boeing, uh, Craig? We've uh, seen all the wrong headlines uh, for really one of the world's greatest ever aircraft makers and it's having one of its worst ever periods because of the 737 MAX situation and their results come out on the same day as Facebook as well. The worst stuff is still to come though, isn't it?
1: It is. And I mean, this comes uh, a week after as well that we heard from Boeing and they said that they're going to take a $4.9 billion hit due to the grounding of the 737 MAX. And that is on the expectation that it's actually going to be able to fly from the fourth quarter of this year. And there has been I reports... I that- unlikely, don't you? Well, that's... I mean, The the report suggests it's actually going to be early next year and this is a deadline that's actually been delayed and delayed and delayed already so there's no guarantee that it'll even be uh, at the start of next year as well so you wonder how much bigger that number could get but maybe they've got the worst of the news out of the way by announcing that number which will allow them to announce results that don't get too much of a, a bad hit. The other one that really stands out for me, given the fact that it's been so much in the headlines recently, is Deutsche Bank. They recently laid off 18,000 staff. That came as a shock at the time. Not necessarily that they were laying off staff, but... A layoff of that number is almost uh, is almost comparable to the layman's uh, collapse when we saw enormous job losses there as well. So I'm sure people will be very keen to see how they performed in the second quarter and what their continued turnaround plan looks like. We obviously got some details when these job cuts were announced, but after such an extraordinary uh, shift. Here, from the bank, I think these results are going to get an awful lot of attention. And like I say, that's just, I think I've just named four different earnings reports. crazy Add to that Twitter alphabet. Um, We've got uh, Tata Motors, owner of Jaguar Land Rover, who of course have been heavily in the headlines in recent months. And and many, many more. It really is, I think it's going to be a real fascinating week next week. For
0: many, many reasons. And uh, we've also got uh, US
1: second quarter GDP as well. That'll be an interesting figure when it comes out. It absolutely will be because... We know that the U.S. grew, I think, was 3.1 percent in the first quarter. If, if, if I'm not mistaken, or if I'm not missing a revision there, and now we've got the second quarter figure out. Now, in the first quarter, we were expecting around two percent growth, but actually far exceeded expectations. That was driven by two primary factors, which are neither sustainable nor good for the following quarters. One was inventory building, so that tends to have a negative knock-on effect for the following quarters, and the second one was a, a reduction in imports. And again, that is another thing which is actually has t- typically has negative knock-on effects for the following quarters. So people are expecting a weak GDP report uh, from the US um, this week. Now the GDP number is released on Friday we're expecting 1.8% growth for that second quarter. You wouldn't be surprised if this was worse given the trajectory that global growth is on right now and when you take those factors into consideration obviously there is scope for a revision of that first quarter number as well but given we're in earnings season it's not looking too great so far it looks like we're heading for an earnings recession which is too two consecutive quarters of negative annual earnings growth, it could be a bad news week from the US perspective, which really does line things up actually quite well for Fed interest rate cut the following week. Do you want to mention the ECB as well? Right.
0: (laughs) Catch your breath there. Yeah, catch my breath. Just to to round things off with, um, well not that interesting, is it?
1: It's not going to be that interesting, actually. I think we're looking for hints that we could get interest rate cuts in one of the following meetings. It seems that economists are favouring a rate cut, actually, in the September meeting. That's not unusual. I know we're expecting one for the July one for the Fed, which, again, is unusual. We've said this before. Usually, central banks, since the global financial crisis, have saved major interest rate announcements for... Uh, the meeting when they release new economic forecasts, it kind of justifies the reason for wanting to change monetary policy. Most central banks have kind of stayed on that. The Fed is going of course, and I think that had a lot to do with the G7 meeting between Trump and G last month, the timing of it being just days after the announcement itself. Uh, and they've alluded to a number of factors as to why they could cut in rates in July and by what they're effectively going to. The ECB is obviously going to keep on, on the more traditional, or what has become the more traditional route. But it looks like saving it till September. Even this looks an odd decision for me what it is with the ECB's habit of cutting or raising interest rates one month before we get a new president. Back in 2011, young Claude Trichet actually raised interest rates, he and obviously the rest of the board, in his final meeting, something that Mario Draghi had to quickly reverse after taking charge you would have thought it would be sensible at this point just to leave Lagarde, to lead the ECB into this next phase of the euro area from a central bank perspective. But it seems that economists are expecting a rate cut at that September meeting. So what we're really looking for next week from the ECB is a hint that that is to come uh, and not too much more.
0: Craig, this time next week, we're going to have President Donald Trump and Prime Minister Boris Johnson.
1: Yeah, a victory for the populists. Uh, And on that note, I think uh, I'll finish things with a tweet which uh, Trump has actually just put out just before arriving in the studio. He says, Because of faulty thought process we have going for us at the Federal Reserve, we pay much higher interest rates than countries that are no match for us economically. In other words, our interest costs are much higher than other countries when they should be lower. Correct. Now, I don't know about you, or if you even kept up with that because I know obviously it is just uh, a load of waffle, but this idea that interest rates when the economy is good should be lower, meaning you get a booming economy, which means that when times are bad, you should be raising interest rates doesn't just go against economic theory, it goes against complete common sense. And it very much falls into line scarily with the thinking of President Erdogan in Turkey, who has voiced very similar ideas that lower interest rates don't spare higher inflation, high interest rates spare higher inflation. When we have two leaders, two very prominent leaders in the world of that thinking, that is scary because it suggests that they don't really have a full grasp on how these things actually work. Yeah, sort of thing
0: that a 14-year-old would know, a 14-year-old economic student.
1: This is why uh, central banks need to be independent and why people do get genuinely concerned when the independence of those central banks does become threatened, as it has in Turkey and as people perceive it to be in the US. Because if you're along that way of thinking, you may turn the economy into this booming uh, economy in the near term, but you could cause severe damage in the longer term. On that positive
0: note, have
1: a great weekend. Thank you, you too.